0: this episode of the king's hall is brought to you by ideal poultry and our supporters at patreon.com steve jobs is easily one of the most influential people of the last century he of course co-founded and ran apple one of the most prominent and powerful tech companies in human history the company's reach has been absolute global and overwhelming but his story isn't without blemishes On the one hand, he revolutionized the way humans interact with technology in the world, creating products like the iPhone that would utterly change the human experience. On the other hand, he was often a petulant boss with an explosive anger that erupted at his employees. He refused to acknowledge or support his daughter, who was born out of wedlock, for a long time after she was born, until finally a paternity test proved that she was, in fact, his daughter. He still refused parental rights for himself and did the minimum, at least for many years, sending his child support payment, but continuing to focus on building Apple. As Helen Andrews writes in her book, Boomers, Jobs was a quintessential boomer. He was influential, smart, paradoxically became the man, while believing himself to be a true rebel. And perhaps most importantly, Jobs was a fatherless bastard. He was adopted, but his fatherlessness drove his life as no other force did. Andrews writes, quote, Steve Jobs was a family-obsessed psychological basket case haunted by themes of inheritance and lineage, end quote. In fact, unlike other boomers who tended to want to tear down institutions, Jobs sought to rebuild them. We might ask why. As Andrews points out, Institutions were the only way a fatherless, mostly childless, man could pass on a lineage. It was the theme that dominated his obsession with building and maintaining Apple. As a child at school, the other kids taunted Jobs. What happened? Didn't your mother love you? Co-workers wondered if adoption was the motor of his ambition. When Aaron Sorkin was commissioned to write a Steve Jobs biopic, he made Jobs' adoption the crux of the script. It was this same obsession that would eventually lead him to oppose globalist efforts he'd previously supported. Of this shift, Andrews writes, quote, In a 1996 interview with Wired, Jobs said he had cooled on his earlier techno-utopianism precisely because he and Lorraine had recently become parents. Asked which upcoming advances he was most excited about, Jobs waxed philosophical. We're born, we live for a brief instant, and we die. It's been happening for a long time. Technology is not changing it much, if at all, he said. Having children really changes your view on these things. Steve Jobs was driven by his fatherlessness to create a tech empire. And it seems what Andrew said about Jobs could just as easily be said about our current generation. We are haunted by themes of inheritance and lineage. We are haunted, ultimately, by our father hunger. The King's Hall Podcast exists to make self-ruled men who rule well and win the world.
1: Well, welcome, gentlemen, to another episode of the King's Hall Podcast. It is, of course, great to be with you. Dan, I'll start with you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me into the hall. You know what? You're welcome for being welcome. Brian, welcome, welcome, welcome to the King's Hall
0: it's good to be here, gentlemen. Season two, Father Hunger. S- season two, off off to a good start here. And I just like how you wrote The Cold Open. I didn't read it beforehand, and then I had to say the word bastard out of nowhere. <laughs> I put and, that in there for you. And though, listeners, Ray, our sound editor spared you. You didn't have to hear me make about a thousand mistakes that I had to reread pronouncing Steve Jobs' name as if it were the book of Job. <laughs> how you can tell you're a pastor.
1: It was actually in one easy step. It was hard to keep a straight face. Because once yeah. you did it, every time I read the word, that's what it was I how, said too. Yeah, it
0: was it was it was done. Yeah. Well thanks Eric. It's good to be here and welcome yourself to the King's Hall. Uh the Hard Man himself.
1: Yeah. That's right. It's a little frosty. I like to you know, stay frosty, Hardman it's colder, podcast. Yeah. There's no heat in this room. <laughs> no, there's not. But that's how you know that we're authentic. That's right. And we really that's care it. about this issue. Really? Huh. Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah, that's it. That's the one test. Credibility. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Instant credibility. That's yep. right.
1: That's right. So we began this season, gentlemen, talking about father hunger, and we were looking at things like symptoms and root causes of fatherlessness. So it seems important at this point that we examine kind of the simple question: What is a father, and what is he? So we're going to spend some time in this episode doing that. And I thought maybe a good starting point would be Matthew's gospel. So in this instance, we will have a picture—we'll read that in just a moment—of Jesus' baptism. And really, we see the most prominent feature of Christ's baptism is what the Father says about him and ultimately does at this scene. From this, we, I think, could derive much about the primary roles of a father. So I am going to read this. This is Matthew three sixteen and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the first thing we might see here, gentlemen, is that the Father was present. The Father was present in the life of Jesus. So if we learn anything, it's that fathers should be present in the life of their people, This excludes things that we've talked about in past episodes like workaholism. There's other forms of absenteeism that we could mention. But otherwise, skipping out on your child's formative years is going to be a huge detriment for fathers. Fathers, after all, are the single largest factor, according to a study from Lifeway, in determining the faith of their children. And I want to read this and then uh, ask you guys a few questions. So the study says this. If a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in fifty will become a regular worshiper. If a father does go regularly to worship, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. Based. It is based. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. But but like evolutionary psychology, I think we're we're doing these research and studies and they're kind of telling us things. And we're if you had any common sense or wisdom from scripture, you would have said. Yeah. We already know that. Yeah. I didn't really need a study to tell me that, but I want to ask you guys, why is fatherhood so important, particularly this issue of being present, simply being present? You know, Woody Allen said, showing up is at least
0: half the battle. So presence, why is that so important? I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Again, like you said, this is common sense, natural law kind of stuff. You don't even need a verse of the Bible to tell you this. You can simply just observe the world and how it works That fathers ultimately ought to be and end up being for good or for bad often the model of what a son is aiming to become. Mm. So when you have a father who's present and joyful and loving and he's a good godly man, that man becomes the model for the son in a way that's filtered through the son's own particular proclivities or nature. Not that he's going to become the exact imprint of his father – but that his father is going to be – his father's nature is going to be stamped on him like a royal seal on mm-hmm. the soft wax. He puts his imprint on him. And even for a daughter then, he doesn't become so much the model for what his daughter should become fully in the same way a son because she's a, she's a woman. She's to become a woman, not a, not a man. So the mother is kind of the model for the daughter. But the father becomes a model for what the, the woman ought to desire. In, and often she ends up marrying a man who's like her father or has to utterly reject the model of her father, or ends up not rejecting something she ought to have and then marrying a man who's like her father. So for you know whether whether it's in a positive way or a negative way, the father's imprint through his presence or his absence ends up being, I think, particularly formative for how the son and the daughter both end up aiming and what they end up becoming.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Dan, as we were talking about this question this morning before we recorded, I said to you this this episode was somewhat challenging in the research process because to me it, it seems so common sense, but you said something in response to that. Do you remember what that was?
2: Yeah, when you ask these big questions that are pretty simple and straightforward, like what is a father for? You're like, obviously it's, wait a minute. Wait, hang on. <laughs> There's nothing at first that comes to mind because it's so obvious. You're like, just assume. And then you start going through the list and it becomes all encompassing. Yeah. And so, yeah, when you had asked me that question, I was like, what is a father actually for? Because we come up with the, with the, the answers of like, well, he's to provide, like he's to protect, you know, a lot of those things. And I was like, wait a minute, what is at the core of humanity, the nucleus of humanity other than the presence of a father. I mean, that is what it means to be human in a lot of ways. The father's presence and purpose guides every area of life. So just talking like from an ethereal level about what humanity is like, how God made humanity. Um, it, a father is to provide vision and example for purpose, virtue, identity, worship, worldview, social structure, hierarchy, likes, dislikes, philosophy. And we know, I know this is true because that's what God the Father is like. And you see this on repeat throughout the scriptures, right? You see that, I mean, I think the best example is the passage that you read, you know, at the baptism of Christ, because God the Father shows up, his presence is there. And he says, this is, he declares blessing and Um, he says that he's pleased in his son, but you see this on repeat throughout God's word is that he shows up like he creates man, you know, and, and says here, this is what you're for. This is what you're supposed to be like. Hmm. Don't do this, do, do this, Mm -hmm. you know, here's the target and, and to, to walk and follow after me is, is really the role of a father. And so this is like in, in, like I said, the nucleus of humanity is that the presence of a father should give you a vision and identity for all areas of life. And so that's why fatherlessness is such a huge issue. The lack of presence of a father in worship, like you had said, like one in 50 children continue to worship the one true and living God if there's not a father present, to show that example. That's because there's disorder. There's such a radical disorder that it's actually at the very core – of what it means to be human, that there's something missing. And it was the uh, presence of a father to show, hey, this is you're supposed to worship like this. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to be like. So the presence of a father, I mean, is like at the core of what it means to be human.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. As we were thinking about all this, it reminded me of a quote. Um, this is C.S. Lewis talking about George MacDonald. And, and he said this, An almost perfect relationship with his father was the earthly root of all his wisdom. From his own father, he said, he first learned that fatherhood must be at the core of the universe. He was thus prepared in an unusual way to teach that religion, in which the relation of father and son is of all relations the most central. So I want to ask you guys about this quote. Part of it is, do you agree? Certainly reading it, it reminded me— of the language in John's gospel between the father and the son, right? The fa- Jesus is saying the father and I are one. Mm-hmm. We share in the same work. Yeah. I mean, there's a cohesion and a unity that is obviously central for Christ's mission. So about this quote, do you agree? What are your yeah. thoughts in response to it?
0: I think that it really raises an interesting question. And it's like, just basically, is C.S. Lewis right about this supposition, this claim that uh, he said, that religion in which the relationship or the relation of father and son is of all relations the most central. So if you just ask that question apart from his answer, what human relationship or relation relation is the most central? I think a lot of people would be tempted to give other answers. They might say like marriage, but I think that would be a mistake. I think you'd be mistaken to do that. That The relationship of the father to son actually is more fundamental than even the relationship of the man to the woman. You might think, well, hang on, hang on. Isn't the marriage relationship the foundational relationship of Scripture? Because the man is created. It's not good for him to be alone. Mm. Actually, no. No, because before that happened, you have the 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 father through the son by the spirit creating the man making him a living soul and then saying there's all, there's this pre-existing relationship of sonship between the man and his god and then and then later you know antecedent to or, or you know after that you have uh, the the marriage relationship created it even gets back to the 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 lifeway study that you pointed out well what is more fundamental than the marriage relationship it's actually what kind of formative process is making sons into men like where, are they, where are they being formed for the marriage? What kind of men are they going to be in that marriage? The, 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 the much more powerful than the marriage relationship is going to be what kind of father did they have? What, what picture for masculinity created them and made them into what they are? What did they bring into the marriage? How were they formed for the marriage? And so when you think about this you know, issue of fatherhood and why it's so important in the world, we obviously see that it is important. We obviously see that it is central, but this claim that fatherhood must be at the core of the universe, though it's a big claim, I think proves out, proves out. And it proves out because of who is there at the center, God the Father, and of how he created the world to function in, in terms of forming man, these hierarchical structures. Why is it that the father's spiritual faith is what's going to determine most likely that like regardless of the, of the woman in the marriage – it's the father that's going to form the religious ideology and faith of the children. Why is that?
1: And I think it's it's like one of just the it's the way that God created the world. So it's one of those things. Like in our culture, we try to revolt against it. We, you know, even things like Black Lives Matter. If we could get a, away from nuclear families and fatherhood, yeah. then society would do well. But it never proves out because it's a bit like jumping off a building and saying, "Well, I want gravity to not be true today." Yeah. But that is the way that God created the world. I was even thinking, you know, you have the relationship in the Trinity between the Father and the Son. But even Adam, before the woman is created, he has a relationship to God. That's where he gets his mission. I think this can so often be a point of confusion for men is if you make marriage the center of your universe in your life, mm-hmm. you have no mission other than the woman, and that turns everything on its head.
0: Gentlemen, I think we all agree that there are few foods in the world as nutritious and delicious as some good eggs.
1: You know, Brian, that's right. That's why I slunk at least 18 raw eggs a day. But with egg prices so high, one way to get great eggs at a good price is to invest in raising your own chickens.
2: That's very true, Eric. Check out Ideal Poultry at IdealPoultry.com if you want to place an order for some backyard chickens ducks, or any other poultry, like pheasants or chuckers. I mean, come on, turkeys. They breed the best birds in the U.S. and are a lovely Christian, family-owned, and
0: operated business. That's right. Visit Ideal Poultry at idealpoultry.com for all your backyard poultry needs.
1: So Dan, it seems like, to Brian's point, it seems like we have to get this right. Do you agree with the statement, fatherhood must be at the core of the universe?
2: Yeah. must be. It, it just is. It is, it is at the it core is. of the universe. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love that picture of creational order um, because it does show explicitly, you know, it, we have creational order that that is uh, called back to by the Apostle Paul and, and by Jesus to show headship. And like, you know, we could talk about covenant structures yeah. and things like that with the the husband being the head of his wife and, and you see like the importance of that role and taking responsibility. But at the very beginning, like you said, there was this relationship that pre-existed the world with the father and the son. Mm, and yeah. and out of that came Adam. And Adam, as like the father of humanity in, in a way, as a representative, was given marching orders before the marriage uh, to Eve. And so I, I do think that that is... God is telling us something with that. And I would just, again, say wh- what I said earlier, that you can see this uh, this theme on repeat throughout the entirety of Scripture as God the Father, wh- he gives himself that name, mm-hmm. he's God the Father, is declaring to his people, like, this is, this is what is good, what is evil, this is how you are to worship. This is, you know, he's giving this fatherly father, instruction. Yeah. I am the ultimate father, and that's how we relate to to God is as a father. And so it is at the core of the universe because that is at the core of God's being.
1: Yeah, it, another, to use my famous word, huge, another huge thing here, <laughs> I think, is, Brian, so much like the confessions and the things that we have from our fathers in the faith, they've proven helpful to me. And, and I want to yeah. give one example. We live in a very, like, sexually confused age. Like, we can't figure out which bathroom to use, like— People make things more complicated than they need to be. We invent things like gender. Yeah. But what's interesting, I remember reading a book by Stephen B. Clark, and he's like, "You want to know about the roles of men and women?" He said, "It's simple. You follow Jesus in Matthew 19, as Dan said, and you go back to the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, how did God make them? And you think about the Westminster Confession. It's very similar. There's a, a simplicity, yeah, to the truth and law of God, and especially the way it expounds nature. Yeah. So I guess if if you would just connect those with some. Like Westminster, why is it yeah. important here?
0: Yeah, I think of chapter two of the Westminster when I'm thinking about this father-son relationship because you can get this backward where you could, you could, you could go the, and a reason in the wrong direction. You could say, well, we're supposed to call God father and, and the Messiah the son because God looked through creation and he was looking for something that was kind of a good analogy. And he was like, oh, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like fatherhood and sonship. And, th- and that's not really what happened. It's the other direction. It's that God is a Father who eternally begets the Son, and, uh, and, and the, the Holy Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so when God created father, human fathers and human sons, he created them to be a picture. He cre- so we are a living image, in a sense, of fatherhood and sonship. Hmm. The Westminster Confession chapter 2 says that the Son—it literally says the Son is eternally begotten of the Father— the holy ghost eternally proceeding from the father and the son and there's some there's some you know as with any doctrine where you're getting into the essence and the nature of god there's debate about the finer points and what are exactly the right human words to use we're getting to the edges of what human language is able to do when we're describing the eternal essence of god with finite human words but a lot of the Westminster divines and then you know later commentators on the Westminster would call this doctrine of the eternal begetting of the Son by the Father um, the eternal generation of the Son. A. A. Hodge defines this doctrine, the eternal generation of the Son, as, quote, an eternal personal act of the Father – Wherein, by necessity of nature, not by choice of will, he generates the persons, not the essence of the Son, by communicating to him the whole individual sub, indivisible substance of the Godhead, without division, alienation, or change, so that the Son is the express image of his Father's person, and eternally continues, not from the Father, but in the Father, and the Father in the Son." This is what the earlier creeds were talking about when they said that Christ is God of God, light from light, You know th- that kind of language, is that we have this eternal cause and its eternal effect. So Jesus wasn't created in a moment of time where he, se- he began to exist, but that the-, the reality of there being one God who eternally exists in three persons, there's a relationship there that is real without dividing the substance of God. I mean, we're not talking about three gods or God pretending to be three different beings, And this is all very technical, but it's important because it tells us something about how fatherhood and sonship actually end up relating to each other in a human creational echo sort of way where we don't eternally generate our son, obviously. I'm also not talking about the doctrine of the eternal subordination of the son and that whole – I'm not talking about the ESS, EFS at all. I'm talking about a different doctrine. But it does tell us that there's a human echo where the fatherhood of human fathers and the sonship of human sons sort of rhymes with and and, and is a shadow of this relationship where a father really is giving to his son and his daughters as well. He's giving to his children um, his his nature. He's giving to his children himself in a way. He's being replicated or he's being. Uh, there's a begetting that happens with our children where they become like us. And that continues through life. Mm. So they continue to become like us. or in, in, in our absence, they, they, it's almost like they lose the, the copy that they're supposed to be imitating. And so they have to – it's not that they can live without that master model that they're being modeled after. They just make other ones. They will reach everywhere to find another model to be begotten in the image of. And so they'll try to become like, oh, Andrew Tate. Look, there's a dad who will tell me how to do fatherhood and sexuality, and he'll lead you into hell, and he'll lead you into death. Or, uh, hey, th- this book that I read, or hey, this this other father figure in my life, for good or evil, it's inescapable that children will seek some fatherly model to be begotten in the image of.
1: Yeah, I also think it's really important to recognize how many times in the New Testament Paul, like, obviously gives teaching and instruction but how many times does Paul reference imitation? Because the reality is yeah. like we're image bearers and we're imitators. Yeah. So, so even when we're talking about fathers, it's not just that we need to we, – we definitely do need to read about you know the Trinitarian uh, God and we need to study these things. But we also need real actual flesh and blood men yeah. in our lives
0: who are modeling fatherhood. That's, a, that's also the way it seems God has designed it. Yeah, you see in Ephesians 5 Paul says be imitators of God as beloved children. And then later Paul actually says something similar in 1 Corinthians 4, he says I urge you to be imitators of me. So so Paul under, and he says, you know, you have not many fathers to the Corinthians. So there's this there's this reality that people are people should imitate God, but God created us to need or to to be benefited by uh, mediating images of God, mediating images of God's fatherhood, whether church fathers, like Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 4, or human fathers, it, it, like actually biological human fathers, it's an inescapable reality that we're going to form some image of a father to imitate and be begotten the image of. And the question is only is it going to be um, a father who is in the image of the real father? Or will it be a false father?
1: Yeah, and I think it, it ties—you're exactly right. It ties closely into this this first point that we were talking about, about presence. I guess the other question I have for us uh, and for you guys as men is, you know, a direct application of this would be that our, our sons and daughters, they need us to be present. Um, and so just asking, what are some of the ways that, that you would do that? I, I think of simple things in my life, even like, you know, coming home and not just sitting there vegging on my smartphone and responding Mm. to emails and text messages with everybody. Well, you know, I've been convicted of this lately, where, like, my teenage son is talking to me and trying to tell me about his day, and I'm not listening. Mm. Um, So what other ways have you thought through, like, how how can fathers just practically be present?
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of discipline that you can build into your life as far as, like, protecting certain times. I know uh, Pastor Brian Sauve here is very— good at at that uh protecting time i mean 4 30 on the nose you can expect i'm out he's he's out he's like for that reason i'm out it's 4 (laughs) 31 i am late yep goldberry is waiting is what he says (laughs) and uh, and he's out the door uh but i think uh having discipline you know it sounds kind of cold i guess when i say it out loud to me it seems obvious yeah but but having that sort of discipline is not it's not a cold thing. No, it's not a cold thing to say. Like, no, this time, is um, is for my children and face- for my my home.
1: Yeah, face to face. I am
2: I am not on my phone. That's a discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, I am not in front of a TV. That's a discipline. I am going to read the storybook. Yes, I am going to listen to you jabber on all day about you know what you did, even yeah. though if it makes no sense. And I'm going to smile and laugh and yeah. joke with you. Uh, I am going to give attention to my wife so that they can see how you treat a woman Mm -hmm. and how you are mirroring uh, things like being thankful. Thank you for making dinner. This is great. Complimenting. My boys are so funny. When they want something, now they go, Mommy, you're so pretty. You're so pretty. (laughs) And I'm like – they learned that from me. You're like, they wow. Did. They did. They're Im-
0: they imitators of Dan as beloved children. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. Great.
2: So uh, I, think, I think the simplest answer is to build disciplines around your life. Because what happens to the man who is on his phone all the time or sucked into screens or is at work constantly, can't disconnect, it, it just fundamentally comes down to a lack of discipline. You're not able to say no to certain things. And yes, to other things. Yeah. You are being pushed around by by responsibilities in your life and not creating those boundaries. So I think that's one of the, that's like the first starting point. And then there's obviously things you can grow on from there.
1: Yeah. I think it, it, to me, it just struck me as such a, a big thing that the, one of the best gifts we can give as fathers to our wives, to our sons, especially our daughters, uh, but also like you think pastors, like to our people, be all there um give people your true presence. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like counseling meetings, people come to talk to us. That's not the time to check your phone a re- 100 times and be staring at yeah. the thing. It's I'm I'm giving you a gift of my full undivided attention with my presence. And like the father that's a really Yeah. powerful thing. Brian, any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I think no, I echo everything you guys said. I won't repeat it. Um I think that's that's exactly the issue. We're talking about actual volume of time and then the quality of time when you're there being focused. And, and people in your life, like when you're leading your home, it's important that in order to carve out these spaces, you're, you're teaching your people, like I'm, you're teaching your wife, I might not when I'm at work, answer a text message immediately. It might take me two hours. Because if I'm in a counseling meeting, I'm turning off notifications, I'm removing the temptation. If I'm doing something, I want to be present there and doing it. But then when I'm home, that you, you will lose credibility if when you're home, you then don't do the same thing there. That's and I think point. this is convicting for all of us. Like when you think about the the ease with which attention is divided today, hmm. because you have this like immediate, ongoing, constant temptation it's like compulsive, to not be present.
2: That's how I've heard it described. Yeah, it's
0: like a compulsive. And so I think in this age, the it's important that we all kind of recognize, yeah, this is a huge temptation. And we need to be disciplined. We need to actually set up barriers to ourselves uh, ahead of time, if that makes sense. So, uh, you know, I think as you do those few things consistently, then you'll get the presence right. And I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about what you do with that with that presence.
2: You know, I, another thing I think that has been really helpful for me, maybe this isn't as helpful for you, is that if you just back out for a minute. Andy Wilson was really good about this. As I read fiction, this is kind of a theme that you see is like. Um, if you just step out of your own skin for a second and and just ask what story am I in right now and what part am I playing yep. as a character? Mm. And if you tell the story like th- once upon a time there was a father who was always on his phone. Yeah. Oh. He couldn't he was working hard. Oops. He worked himself to the bone. He was always exhausted and he had nothing left to give his children at the end of the day. What kind like, of story is that? What kind of story <laughs> is that? Yeah, are you the good guy or the bad guy? I mean, it's <laughs> wow. it's so funny when you tell that story yeah. to somebody in counseling, you're like, this is going to sound really cheesy. Oh, wait a minute. Oops. I'm I think I'm the bad guy in this story. <laughs> I
0: think I'm not the good guy. Yeah.
2: Once, we upon time,
0: yeah. <laughs> once upon a time, there was a dad who was always mad at his kids for being loud and annoying. Oh. Oops. I sound like, like the ogre in this story. Yeah, oh, no. I mean,
2: you just have to be brutally honest. Just yeah. step out of your own skin and say, like, what am I actually like? If I was yeah. to write a story of this of this scene or of, mm-hmm. of my daily life, am I actually the good guy in this story? Because mm-hmm. I think we have these delusions because of culture, worldview, all sorts of things. Like, uh, I'm a victim of all sorts of different situations in my life. Like work is really demanding. There's a lot of people that require my attention. Like you guys are so needy. And if you were to actually step out and tell the story that is happening, you might find that you're actually the bad guy. That's maybe why Mm -hmm. I guess as I'm listening, uh, you know, to myself talk and to hear you guys talk about like, how do you be present as a father? I'm like, this is so obvious. Like it's so Mm -hmm. boring, but quite honestly, if you were to just do that, just be disciplined and be Mm -hmm. focused, uh, with your time. Yeah. I mean that's that could have generational impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Just by being disciplined in that. I'm not even talking about like some of the stuff like oh, start your own boy scout troop and you should teach your kids how to start fires and you should put them in situations to where they have to overcome challenges to mm-hmm. build confidence. Like all that is great. Yeah. Step 1, show up.
0: Yeah, be there. Just
2: be there. Yeah. That's I mean, I guarantee you there are hosts of men and women that would give up all of the inherited wealth, everything that they had just to have a dad that would have been there uh, for dinner at night. Yeah. So it seems simple, I mean, but realistically, be honest and tell the story of your life.
0: Dan, I think this is something that you taught me when we were, I think this came out of counseling initially and maybe even behind the scenes counseling where we were talking as an elder team, how do we deal with different situations? And it's very analogous because church, elders and pastors are are to take a fatherly role in the church. And you would say all the time what we need to do is step back and ask what would the best pastor in the world do right now. Mm-hmm. And it's such an it's such an like obvious question in a sense. Yeah, you're like that's what, a
2: dumb question. <laughs> when you ask it
0: like that what you realize is that there are things you know you should do that you don't want to do because you're lazy or because you're free, it's hard or like and it's the same kind of dynamic. You have to step back and say what would a really good dad do on a Tuesday? <laughs> it's crazy. So probably I, not tweet all night. Probably read Narnia. You know. But what if he's tired? He would Did do it anyway. Like, he <laughs> would do it without complaint. Yeah, is but, what would happen. But what if what if he had yeah. a really long day at work?
1: Which, Did it, I stutter? <laughs> it's it's really interesting because in James Clear's book on Atomic Habits, how do you mm-hmm. build habits and build a life you want? He said one of the central things that people have to get a grasp on is you ask yourself that exa- exact same question. He says, "Like if you want to be, you know, fit, physical fitness, what would a fit person do right now?" <laughs> it sounds
2: so obvious. Put down the donut. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. right. As but he you're said eating if, a donut. It, it forces you to focus on have what on. what kind of person do I want to become, and how my habits are. Yeah, am I acting acting like creating it? that yeah. kind of person? Yeah.
0: Which, which, yeah. I, I want to be a smart, fit, well-read man who's a good father, and I'm going to accomplish that by tweeting all night, not being present, watching Netflix till I fall asleep, and never reading. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. The I'm input doesn't guy. seem to equal the output. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's no there's no cheating.
1: Yeah, that's great. I love it, Dan. Know what kind of story you're in. Uh, number two, and very closely related, as Brian mentioned earlier, but now Doug points out um, in the baptism passage, this, by the way, is yes, coming from Doug Wilson. Um, no. Yes. The I know, Douglas the, Wilson? Guy, wow. Unbelievable. The troublemaker, Doug Wilson. Uh, he points out that the Father's presence was also felt. And so this gets into this issue of the Father sending his Holy Spirit and essentially empowering his Son with courage. Uh, we know that the Holy Spirit brings remembrance of truth. Um, again, fills us with Samson-like energy to accomplish his mission. So one of the things that drew my attention was the way in which fathers, their presence, has an immense impact. Uh, Some years ago, we were going through a difficult season as a family, and I was just gloomy all the time. Bitter, resentful, uh, didn't have any joy in my life. And I remember uh, another elder in a different church named Dan, not Dan Burkholder, Um, But Dan told me, he said, okay, what I want you to do to understand that you're really a huge thermostat in your own home, I want you to go home and I want you to find a movie that your kids want to watch. And he said, I want you to be as joyful as humanly possible. I want you to kiss your wife and tell her you had a great day. I want you to to be joyful over the top. And he said, I want you to tell me what happens at the end of that night. We get to the end of the night Lo and behold, the kids are happy. My wife's happy. And he was like, "You." so many of us, I think, you you may look at your family and you're like, why is no one happy? Well, it might be you.
2: You know, Brian says this in counseling as well all the time. He's like, yeah, you might not feel happy. Fake it. Yeah, just pretend. Just just fake it till you make it. Yeah. Because I bet at the end of the night, you were actually happy too. It
1: made me happy. Yeah. But it's that same thing of like, put on the habit of gratitude, joy. It's not... Do you remember the scene, Brian? You mentioned this uh, in Ezra Nehemiah, mm-hmm. where the people are weeping at yeah. the temple, and what, what are they told? They say, "Don't
0: weep, rejoice. Like put that away. This is stop it. This is not the time for that." Yeah, th- th- this is not popular in our our current day because doubt and depression and mental illness are sexy. It's like a badge of honor because you're being authentic. If you're like, well, I'm just being what I feel. And people are supposed to be like, yes, I affirm you. Go be sad and full of doubts. Glorious. That's (laughs) Yeah, go do that. And instead, the apostle Paul's like, hey, rejoice at all times. And people are like, but what if I feel? Again, I say rejoice. And he's like, again, I say it. Rejoice. You're like, Paul, you can't command me to feel a certain way. And he's like. Watch me. Did I stutter? Watch me, watch me, whip. Watch me, watch me, watch <laughs> no, me, <that's>, nae No. <laughs> Wait, that's not no. what he said. <laughs> You're gay for saying that. I don't that's, even know. Hey, to be fully like, transparent, <laughs> I don't even know where that reference comes from. Are you I've serious? I've just heard it. What You've is that from? I have never heard the song? I had two did chickens. I just, did I just really like reference horrible? I had horrible? two chickens.
2: One was whip and one was
0: nae No. Oh, did you really? Yeah, did, yeah. What is it from? Is it a movie? It's a rap song. Oh, I listen to a lot of uh, rap music. Yeah, it sounds like you do. <laughs> Actually, his next
2: album coming out.
0: Yeah, it's all rap. All rap all the time. Next Westminster Confession Catechism songs, it's actually going to be all rap. Watch Brian Whip. Watch him nae nae. I actually don't even know what that means. Yes. Yeah.
2: I don't either. That's why How I'm really d- uncomfortable. How did Christ, being a son of God,
0: God, become man? Uh, <laughs> Christ, the son of God. Okay, we can stop. We have, Ray, make is that Timothy that Brindle? Cool. No, that was just the Westminster Shorter oh, Catechism oh, okay. question 22, I think.
1: Ray, under no condition, Remember that. Ray... <laughs>
0: It's fine you you credibility. I don't want to make that more work just went
2: out the basement window yeah so yes. what were we
0: talking about again oh yeah we're, we're rejoice the, the the felt presence of yeah. the father you know <laughs> important stuff
1: yes and I, I think Brian you were talking about like attitudes yeah um, kind of the story I, I'm sharing is is the same thing it's like you might not feel like it and I think a lot of us might not also realize just like you, you've mm-hmm. talked about in brightheth with women, you're also a huge thermostat in the home and if everything is criticism yeah. and nagging. And you're like, man, everybody in my house is grumpy. I-, I wonder why. We have this tendency of not realizing that, like,
0: fathers, you are the thermostat. Yeah, you said the two. It reminds me of, um, like, how—just think of how powerful a moment of this cheerfulness can disrupt the storm clouds. The last couple nights in Sove Homestead have been fairly sleepless in terms of croup, sickness. Children, like, three-year-olds with a stuffy nose, is they think they need an ambulance. They're like— I can't sleep. <laughs> you're like, what's wrong? My, my nose is stuffy. And you're like, well, just deal. You know, you can't fix it. But last night, my, my buddy, Sai Guy, who's a three-year-old, and he's just such a cheerful lad. It was chaos. Like, Lexi was going to deal with this, the, the fussy 18-month-old upstairs, and she was like, look, Brian, I'm just going to have to sleep up here. She's not going to sleep unless I'm right there. So she's going up to sleep in the baby's room, we've got another kid out on the couch because he's got the croup and he, you know, he feels bad for himself. And, and then Sai guy had been on the floor next to my bed and he was like, I had left to go deal with something while Lexi went upstairs. It's like a circus at the yeah. It was house. crazy. And this and, was
2: at one in the morning. This was at <laughs> min, roughly
0: midnight. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I came back in my room. I was like, okay, Cyril's in my room. Boys here, girls here, mom's there, whatever. Okay. I'm going to deal with, go just get some sleep if I can. And I walk in my room and it's dark and out of the darkness I hear from not where Cyril was supposed to be in my mind on the floor on his little mattress, but from where Lexi normally sleeps in my bed. And he's like, daddy, I'm laying where mommy (laughs) normally sleeps. And I was like... Oh, are you? Wide awake. I mean, he is not tired at all. He is jacked. He is excited, cheerful, so happy, chaos around him, and he's the dog with the mug of coffee saying, this is fine, but he really means it. (laughs) And I said, oh, are you, buddy? You're laying there. And he goes, yeah, mommy said I could sleep here tonight. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not going up to confirm this. I'll ask in the morning if he's lying through his teeth. He was actually telling the truth. He was so cheerful that he was going to get to sleep next to me that like all of a sudden i was just laughing like wow i'm this it's fine like this is life i love these kids look at this little guy and it, it that little moment of cheerfulness like just changed flipped a switch on my attitude and he's a 3 year old like can now can you imagine the power of like the dad just insisting on being king loon and not um Puddle Glum in a bad way. You know, Puddle Glum's kind of Glum's a baller. But, but he's also kind of a dour yeah. sort of guy. But, you know, King Loon's just jovial, first in, last out, laughing loudest. You know, that I think that that's so powerful in the home. And it just takes discipline.
2: No, 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 no. I, Eric was motioning to me because he looked, I look like I want to talk because oh. I do. You bring up Narnia and Puddle Glum, and I'm like, tangent time. Yeah, you're like, it's time but to talk we're, about Puddle Glum. There's no time.
1: There's no so, time. So, so, Dan, just to close the circle on this one, when you think about how a father's presence can be felt, part of, part of the other side of this is the father sending the spirit for Jesus is for a purpose, which is empowering his mission. So right after the baptism, Jesus is going to go into the wilderness, be tempted and tested. So connect it for me that for fathers that you're also the thing that you're passing on with your presence is also a mission. It's also missionally aligned. So with your boys now, I know that when you're in that season, right, they're all young. Your oldest is how old? Five? Five, yeah. Everybody's young. But 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 I think you, you'll start to see it more. Like my oldest is almost 16. Your presence is like directly like based on how I am to my son, he's going to go find a wife, Lord willing. He's going to go start a family. The same things I'm doing in my home, he's going to go do. Mm-hmm. So just connect those dots for me, presence and how that ties to mission.
2: Yeah, so— How, how, I guess the first question is how are those that are under your responsibility supposed to understand what they're for and what they're supposed to accomplish if you're not around to show them, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the presence part. Mm -hmm. The other thing is like, we've been talking about is the quality of the presence, because when you tell the story of it to your children, like that a father is to be joyful and to be cheerful and that when they see uh, different obstacles or hardships come and that you endure with joy, uh, then you equip them. And the, the le- I think the next part we'll get into is the declared pleasure of the father to the sons. Yeah. And, and you're actually doing <clears throat> that by your actions. You do have to declare that. Yeah. Like, hey, son, I'm proud of you. You did a good job. Yeah. That goes a long ways. But it means a lot more from a joyful father that is present and invested and mm-hmm. interested in their sons. And so this is kind of a long and rambly answer, but it's really, it, it's it's so interconnected with presence. Vision and presence are so interconnected. Uh, and, and again, if you look through the scriptures, like the people in the Old Covenant often go wayward. And it's the presence of God, usually in judgment of some sort. But that shows up and is like, "Hey, no, not this way, you know that you're going, but this way, hmm. you know." And so, so a good father, his discipline of his children, his discipline of his time and his presence will show the vision for his kids. I mean, and and, and like attending church, that was the study was hmm. just attending church, just attendance, just attending church not being an elder or a deacon or a church member not or even family singing no i mean like not even daily bible reading it was just if you have the discipline to show up at church then your kids will more than likely go to church i mean that that is should say a lot
1: yeah that's wild yeah i was also thinking about like you know presence the way that this was one of the first things when we came here just the way like dan prayed at christmas or thanksgiving Um, you're always, I can't remember exactly how you word it, but praying, um, for the people present that their lines would go for a thousand years. I mean, even something that simple to your, your kids hear that prayer repeatedly. So you're framing their life in the trajectory of like your great grandchildren, simply in the way you're praying, right? You have little kids. So those aren't even long prayers.
2: No, I I'm sure that we all have our own like prayers that we do kind of Regularly at night, bedtime, or whatever. And I'll change things up every now and again. But I pray that my boys would be virtuous, godly, masculine men, you know, that would be self controlled and, and not repeat the sins of their father. And, you know, I pray blessings over them because I genuinely am asking God for that. That's what I desire. Mm. And I want my boys to hear that I'm de- declaring that on behalf of of, uh, the father, you know, that, um, as an intermediary, essentially through prayer that I want my boys to become like this, this is the target, you know? Uh, and I'm sure we all do that and have our own prayers, but that is, I think a very important part of being present. I mean, like praying with your, you know, with your kids is a huge deal.
1: Yeah. And imparting them with mission, purpose, power. Brian, any thoughts on that one? Amen. Amen. I love it. Third point. The father expressed his pleasure, as Dan mentioned, his pleasure in his son. In fact, this may be the most pivotal of fatherly purposes. A father's approval or disapproval has an amazing impact on a child's life. This kind of struck me with the Promise Keepers and Wild at Heart movements. That Central to all of it was there were a whole generations of men who had never heard their father say, I love you, yeah. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm good job. In fact, so much of the workaholism and the drivenness of many men is simply to get this approval, like Steve Jobs, that they probably never will. Yep, yep. Um, And it's because they didn't have fathers to fill that role in their lives. So I want to read a quote from Doug Wilson on this passage in Matthew, the baptism passage. He says this, this is where fatherhood reaches its ultimate expression. In human history, there will never be a more perfect father-son moment than this moment. This is the keynote pleasure. This is the pitch that a father-son relationship needs to match. Well pleased. Yeah. So, Brian, I want to ask you first of all: Do you agree with Doug? Mm -hmm. And if you do, what exactly do you think he's he's telling us about a father's pleasure?
0: Yeah, I I do agree with with Pastor Wilson on that. I think that he's really, and it was a, I think, such a good insight. I remember the first time I read this section, it's in Father Hunger, right? Very beginning of Father Hunger. In this baptism scene, I'd never really seen it that way. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And you just pass over that. You're like, of course, the father's pleased with Jesus. He's perfect, you know. But then when he connected it to just the the pleasure of a father and his sons and the importance of that, you start to think about the state of our world, the state of father-son relationships, and, and the simple hunger that, most children have that will never ever be satisfied mm-hmm. as it ought to be in the pleasure of their fathers. And it's, it's so sad. You just think how many kids, obviously we shared the statistics in the last episode, don't have a father at all. And then of the fathers, the, those children who do have a father, how many of those fathers smile on their children? How many of them you know, express their joy have a warm and open relationship with their children, where you're, you're aiming to have this attitude of just the baseline is approval. The baseline of my children, of my attitude towards them, that I'm aiming for is approval. And people think, well, isn't that contrary to discipline? Isn't that contrary to formation? It's like, no, that's the foundation of it. It's that you are, this is the logic of the gospel. It's you are a son, so act like you are a son. That's the baseline logic of, when Paul in Ephesians 5, uh, I think it was, I quoted it earlier, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. You already are beloved children, so imitate your father. That's the logic of the passage. So my children, when I'm telling them, do this, don't do that, even when I'm disciplining them, it needs to come out of a baseline attitude that's felt and, and expressed Dad is pleased in you. You have my approval. You are my son. I am for you. I I I do love you. I am like instead of, wow, you really didn't impress dad today. You really didn't like win to win me today. You know, where you're always like in this relationship of earning with your children. You didn't do good enough. You made my life inconvenient. I'm angry with you. I'm disciplining you because I'm frustrated with you. I'm annoyed by you. You're a pain. You're a burden. You you make my life difficult. And that's, I mean, those are all sinful tendencies that every dad's going to deal with, especially yeah. young kids.
2: They're relational issues. Uh, we, we call them like uh, hidden contracts. Yeah. You see that in marriage a lot where it's like, um, you know, a guy hoping to get lucky and he like does the dishes. Yeah. And, uh, and then all of a sudden there's like, there's no no lucky. He's like, no hang on. No luck at the end of the night. I put the then coin in the machine. But, but the whole time your wife didn't realize like, that there yeah. was actually a contract here. The yeah. same thing though with sons to the father or mm-hmm. uh, fathers to sons is that if you're a father and you have certain contractual obligations that your sons must meet to have your good pleasure yeah. and they don't know that, then they're always left wondering like, what do I need to do to please this guy? Yeah. I mean, good grief. And I think, um, I, I mean, I didn't, I'm not a boomer, but I think that there was a lot of issues uh, father generationally there between uh, the boomers and their fathers, when affection was withheld, you know, just generationally, this was, this was an issue, uh, with, with boomers is that I think that they felt like their fathers Mm -hmm. were never satisfied in anything they did. Mm -hmm. And then you see the next generation, how the boomers just were like lavishing, Hey, you're great. You know, the, the millennials got like the snowflake generation sort of, uh, you know, just a broad brush because oh, uh, you get a you get a ribbon for just participation mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Like, uh, and it I think in a lot of ways, it's it's just an overcorrection of that. Was that you don't actually, and neither of those are right ordered, like pleasure in your in yeah. your sons. Um, one is one is withheld, and the other is cheap, and mm-hmm. it's not act. It actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and I think, I think that both are a huge mistake and the boomers to the millennials is a big error because the praise and the pleasure is so cheap that the when it when rubber meets the road mm-hmm. to where a a boomer could say to his millennial son i am well pleased in you i am preparing an inheritance for you yeah i approve of what you're doing and i am going to support you in that work mm-hmm. actually support and not just like thoughts and prayers participation son. trophy participation thoughts trophy and prayers. Yep. they're they're absent yep. generally speaking the boomers are absent and in a lot of ways they are showing they'll pay lip service mm-hmm. by saying i am pleased with you you're doing a good job you know go out and get them but they won't actually put their shoulder behind them and say like no i am pleased and i and there is a part of this in the picture of the baptism of christ because God doesn't declare God, God the Father doesn't declare over over Jesus privately that he's pleased. It's public. It's mm-hmm. a public thing. Yep. He says publicly that he is well pleased in his son. Yeah. And so I think that you see that general generational um error with, you know, lip service but not actual actual backing, yep. you know, of the pleasure of their sons. Um through th- essentially like despising their sons by stealing their inheritance. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. I think it's interesting uh, Robert Bly makes this comment in Iron John, but he says behind every Hollywood film that portrays fathers as total idiots, there's probably a son who is just angry at his dad in Kansas uh, because he didn't get approval as a child. Mm. So it also makes me think like how influential that approval if it's given or withheld can be. So again, tie it back to Steve jobs. This guy spent his whole life building a media empire. And at the end of the day, the reason he was so driven and it tore his life apart and he was crazy too. It was all because like he was desperate for fatherhood yeah. to have a father to, to mm-hmm. experience it. And he knew he never could, so he thought he could replace fatherhood with institution. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know,
2: one of my favorite stories from season one, uh, one of the cold opens, was with Alexander the Great. You remember when he tried to—he rode that horse? That was, like, completely wild. And his father was like, yeah, you, you're you not going to do that. You better pay for it yourself. You know, and everybody's laughing at Alexander. He,
1: like, made a wager with his dad, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he
2: made a bet with his dad yeah. that he couldn't ride it. And, and so— When he Alexander tames the horse and he's coming back victorious, publicly, his father says, uh, this is a quote from, uh, I believe it's Herodotus. That's probably not right. But either way, his father, shedding tears of joy, kissed his son. And as he came down from his horse said, Oh, my son, look thee out for a kingdom equal to and worthy of thyself for Macedonia is too small for thee. And I read that story for the first time. Headmaster Love actually gave it to me. He's mm-hmm. like, hey, you should use this for cold open for the King's Hall. Yeah, I read it, and my heart just sings mm-hmm. because you have a king declaring publicly in front of all these courtiers like, hey, yeah. this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This yeah. kingdom is too small for you. You are so great. Mm. Yes. And you see what Alexander the Great did. He built – like he took over the world.
1: Well, it's interesting, Dan, because uh, we're talking about boys and, and mm-hmm. what approval means for boys. Uh, one of our friends on Facebook shared, I think it was just a real Instagram reel or something like this. And it was about fathers and their daughters. And a daughter comes out, she's got to be six, seven. Uh, it's Christmas. She's got a new dress and a pretty sweater. She's got some earrings or something like that. And she comes out and she's looking around the room and people are staring at her. She looks really awkward. She, like, you know, kind of covers herself up even more. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit of shame, embarrassment, whatever. And then she sees her dad in the kitchen and she runs in there and she just starts like twirling and like looking in his face. Yes. Like she was her demeanor changed when she saw dad <laughs> and when he smiled and was like you you know you're you're beautiful all that. So Brian, let me ask you why why is this so important for women that they get this sense of you know their worth, beauty, whatever from their father and not from you know Outside influences, which are often not good. Why is that so important?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think in it reminds me of in Song of Solomon, where um, I can't remember who it is that some some of the onlookers are saying, like if if your daughter is a wall, then um, we'll do one thing, and if she's a door, then we'll do another thing. And it was like the picture is that you have daughters who are like they're absolutely they're attention seekers, and they love. Being noticed and everyone thinks you're pretty, and you know that she's like a door; anybody can walk through it. And you need a father's affection to tell her the truth, to say like, "Yes, you're beautiful. You're you're the glory of man." Like, yes, and here's you need to guard it, and there needs to be a veiling, and there needs to be like a protection and around you. And so, in my love, find protection, and even walls that you run into where he says, you know, maybe your daughter grows up, and it's like, no, you can't go out with that boy. No, you. some of them need the fatherly love of, of uh, restraint, and then some some are just, like, absolutely closed off, and and they need the dad to be like, hey, you're lovely, you're beautiful, you know, and to encourage her to open up. And so the father is like, he's either, he's, he's both a wall, and he's like the son that is supposed to make the flower turn towards it. If you don't do this, if your daughters don't know that their dad loves them and that he's affectionate with them and that he's physically affectionate with them, hugging them, sit on my lap, you know, oh, you look so pretty today, turning your face towards a daughter, then she might be – she might go in one of two directions. She might become painfully shy, completely closed off, and – you know, not warm, not know how to have a warmth towards a husband later, or, you know, just be in, and that's a ditch. Or she might be like, oh, I'm going to go seek it everywhere. I'm going to go get every man, I'm going to sit on every guy's lap, and I'm going to try to be, and so, as a father, part of expressing our pleasure in our children is in reading and knowing what they need, and understanding them, and, you know, studying them, and, and knowing their nature, and like, do they need the wall more? <laughs> Do they need encouragement more? And, uh, this really goes both ways. Like I think practically about, um, with my kids, one of the things that, um, they love is when I give them like nicknames, little silly, like Cyril lately. I saw this picture. It's a meme of, it was like this, this is a picture taken when this baby elephant was found eating sugar cane at the sugar plantation, and he's trying to hide. And there's a telephone pole, like a light pole, and the elephant's, like, hiding behind it, <laughs> like, I'm not here. And uh, and it just reminded me, something about it reminded me of Cyril, my little three-year-old guy, because <laughs> he's always sneaking stuff. Like, he's always up in the kitchen getting chocolate chips and the chocolate spirit on his face, like, so I got you did you eat any chocolate chips today? And he's like, no. What? No. <laughs> Never. I don't even know what a chocolate chip is. So I started calling him my baby elephant. And he's also kind of a little just jovial, round faced kinda. He's leaning out and it's really bumming me out. But I call him my baby elephant. And he just loves it when Daddy calls him baby elephant. He walks around now and he's like, I'm a baby elephant, you know? <laughs> and and you do that with all my kids, like Daffy Duck, my Daphne girl, like I give him all these nicknames. And it's an expression of like, I don't do this for other kids. I don't, you're special to me. You're my, I know you, I give you a, a, a name that's fitting to you. And, and there's just this like pleasure in them and they have a pleasure in in my love for them. And it's, it, and there's like a security there. There's a, there's an openness there where they trust me. And even though like I'm a sinner and get frustrated with them and more often than not during prayer and confession in church, I'm like, oh Lord, I was frustrated. Annoyed with my kids again this week. Shouldn't have done that. I was harsh in that situation. Please forgive me. Help me not to lose my kid's heart. Because that's what we're trying to do is Proverbs 23, 26. It's my son, give me your heart. And you won't win anybody's heart who's not pleased in you. Like think about in your own. If someone's perpetually not like they don't like you, they're not happy with you, you're not going to give them your heart. You're going to be like walled off.
1: Well, I think especially when like we're trying to build this multi-generational work. We're really trying to, the reason we're trying to win our son's hearts, one of them is because we want them to carry on our work. Yeah. We, we're going to need them to keep building Christendom. And if you, Dan, if you lose the heart, you're not, your son is not going to want to spend his life building what you spent your life building.
2: Yeah, exactly. And this is what God, the father does for us, right? He gives us a new heart. Yeah. And he says, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. And, you know, just like we had talked about earlier, our position to God in Christ is that you are already a son. You don't have to work for his good pleasure. Christ already covered you with that. He is pleased because you're you're now a co-heir with Christ. You are a son of God. And so God does that by just giving you a new heart. And we win our children's hearts to that cause, I, I, I think so. I, yeah, you want to win your kids' hearts to believe in this vision of goodness, truth, beauty, mm-hmm. you know and, and so earlier on when I said, you know, the nucleus of humanity is is fatherhood, because from a father, you get your purpose. Mm-hmm. From a father, you get vision, you get, I mean preferences and philosophy and worship and everything. And a, a good father will win the hearts of his children to those things. A good father, well, you see this like all the time with like sports, you know, a, a father loves a certain team. Like my kids will love the Packers, not because I'm going to make them love the Packers. Not
1: even because the Packers are any good
2: <laughs> or lovable
1: at all. That's for Andrew Isker, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but but because their father yeah. loves the Packers. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. just, uh, you see this uh, over and over again. I mean, you, you talked about this with fishing. Like you like fishing because your dad liked fishing. you'd go out fishing, and your dad was happy. he liked fishing. My father loved Christmas because my grandpa was a was not a very good man, but on Christmas around Christmas, he was mm-hmm. like super excited, yeah. he was happy, he wasn't drunk, it was great, it's an And improvement. so um, my dad loves christmas it 's a big deal, and, mm-hmm. and so you, you, you see that from your sons it's the and your daughters, I would imagine i don't have any yet, Lord willing. Um, Is that you win your children's hearts to those things? You know, like Pastor Brian said, when you're not walled off to them, but when you actually show them, "Hey, this is you should love this because I also love this." I think that's why it's also really important um, that fathers are not phony. You know, we say that you can fake it to make it. We're talking Mm -hmm. about attitude. Yeah, restraining your spirit. But if you're like just not repentant if you're not really a believer, if you mm-hmm. go to church, you're like, well, check that box. Yeah. Like I got a 75% chance. My kids are going to go to church. Like mm-hmm. you're not hitting the
1: target. Yeah. Well, and, and I also think too, in my experience this is particularly important for pastors because you're, my kids see me in the pulpit. They see me leading confession. They see me giving exhortations. Um, so I'll regularly tell my sons, in fact, one of them a couple of weeks ago, I had just lost my temper with him that week. And it was something that I thought about it all week. Like, gosh, what am I doing? Um, I had repented, of course, at the time. But then later after confession, I went to him and I said, I just want you to know when I was writing the confession and thinking about it, I was thinking about my own sin. Mm-hmm. And I-, I want you to know that I was thinking about what happened and how that was wrong. Yeah, I know we're good. But I think one of the best ways to not be a hypocrite is to confess your sins to your children regularly. Yep, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that... And then you can go back to saying, like, I am well pleased with you. That's yeah. the thing. I I do love you, um, and I want that to be the environment. But it seems like if we confess to them, then we're you know you're cutting off hip-
0: hypocrisy at the root. Yeah, yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think that that brings us to a good closing point here. I know there's even more in our notes, but just for the sake of keeping it focused here and just really good discussion today. I know I I took a lot um, from this conversation about man, I need to remember to be present, to be joyful, to re- to confess my sin, to notice my children, to take interest in them each according to their nature, because there's easier kids that are more like you or that are easier to get along with, and there's harder ones, and just being a good father. And uh, we hope that this episode was helpful to you listeners as well. I'd want to encourage you as we close out here not to use this as a battering ram against all the fathers in your life that maybe failed you in these areas. Uh, if you're a a wife listening to this, not to use it as a baseball bat to hit your husband over the head with and say, why aren't you more like this? But, uh, to, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to be gracious towards our fathers where they failed and just to pursue our own likeness to the father by grace and through faith. So thanks for listening guys. And we would encourage you if, if you enjoy this content, if you find it helpful, um, and you're able, we'd Appreciate your support financially in continuing to make this show possible and New Chris and Impress possible as a company to carve out the time and the resources to make this kind of show um, possible. You can do that through Patreon. Uh, Become a patron. There's a link in the description to do that. And you get access to our whole back catalog of a patron-exclusive podcast that we produce called After Hours where we sort of kick the can around, talk about lots of different current event issues as well as things in the seasons where we're recording and sort of go to the pub in a sense after work Uh, there. Get the whole back catalog as well as the one that we're about to record today uh, along with lots of other great resources and um, bonuses there. And as always, thanks to our sponsor for this show, uh, Ideal Poultry. Check them out. Make sure that you look for the link in the description there as well and support them. And that helps support us as well. But uh, in the meantime, remember, he conquers who conquers himself. Rule your own spirit well, and then see everything else underneath that come into alignment. We'll see you next time on the King's Hall.